Welcome to Younger Older. This is Dave Wager, your host. I'm here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I'm with a good friend and an old college roommate, Dr. Tim Durkee. And I know the, the last time uh, we did Younger Older, I was with another doctor, Dr. Jeremy Lundgren, who's the president of our Nicolay Bible Institute. And so I'm getting in the habit now, I think, of uh, interviewing guys with doctorate degrees. What is your doctorate degree in, Tim? I'm a medical doctor and I have a PhD in physiology and biophysics. So you have two doctorates or three? Two. Two. The physics one is it's just a big title, so it sounds That's like right. it's two. Yeah, it sounds like I did something. <laughs> well, I think you might have. And uh, where did you get those doctors at? University of Illinois in Chicago. And uh, you are also a Wheaton College graduate with myself who uh, actually – Roommates at least one year while we were at Wheaton College, apartment mates. Yeah. So what are you doing today? Today, I was working at Silver Birch Ranch, serving by towing students behind a ski boat on tubes. Yeah, you know, I think you, you might be the most educated person we have pulling the boats <laughs> these days. Yeah. And uh, that's good. We also have uh, uh, Jeremy Lundgren, who's got his doctorate degree, too, uh, pulling boats. So we're, we're getting a little... Uh, That's right. Upper echelon educational people. That there. job description is really getting punched up. It is. Now, on a regular basis, you're still in medical practice? Yes. I work in Rockford. I'm an OBGYN in Rockford, Illinois. Okay. And is that a, a private practice? Is it a big part of a big? Well, it's part of uh, UW Health. So it's uh, actually termed UW Health Northern Illinois. Right now, as a believer, I mean, you, you and I, we grew up at camp, and we grew up in ministry and doing different things together. And and um, I ended up coming to camp. You ended up going, getting eighteen thousand doctorate degrees, and going into uh, the medicine world. Is there a good opportunity for you if somebody's listening to to minister in the medical world? And and how does that take place? I mean, can you actually have a ministry and be a doctor, or you just got to be quiet while you deal with people? No, I, I never felt at any point uh, within my medical practice or even I was still a professor at University of Illinois College of Medicine in Rockford ever um, impaired to um, share my faith or with patients. Interestingly, OBGYN is one of the few avenues of medicine where you deal with the ethics and the hard choices between birth and death. Yeah. with um, troubled pregnancies versus um, certain cancers. And so we see a full spectrum of challenges in uh, women's lives. Wow. Now, so you're, you're, you're kind of the frontline person for things that are going on in the country, too, in the world, I would think. I'll tell you my perspective as a teacher, someone who's been with kids all my life, and I hear the, the people out in the news and, and talking about abortion and and having rallies to want to make sure people have the right for women's health care, whatever that is, and abortion. And it makes me sick to think that I'm a part of a country where people want to rally to kill babies. Am I wrong on that thought process? No, I, I think you're right. I also believe that um, the abortion decision is actually a downstream decision. And um, we've lost our ability to think fundamentally. And what are the fundamentals? Yeah, well, what's a downstream decision mean? What, what well, does that mean? Well, you begin with an ethic. 
and then you, 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 you start with an ethic, an ethical basis, and then when you encounter uh, a, a human condition or situation, you make a decision based already by a core belief or an ethic. So, for instance, we believe all life has value. And so you're faced with that ethic when now you have a baby in a uterus. So that baby is life. The only way that you can really justify abortion is by calling it non-life, which you can't do. Right. And so in reality, that abortion decision is downstream. So in order to, in my opinion, in order to basically say I can abort uh, a healthy fetus, um, I don't believe it's life. And if I do believe it's life, then not all life has value. So you're conflicted. It, it's, it, you have no core belief because if it's not life, what is it? Right. And so, you, and so you're forced, anybody who is within that argument is forced to make an ethical decision. The other ethic is, I, I guess, they say I should be able, everybody should be able to do what's right with their own body. Well, that's, that's true for the, and, and medically it's true. It's called patient autonomy. You shouldn't be able to undergo a procedure or treatment or experiment without your permission. Well, the adult is conscious and, and can render their opinion. The fetus can't. So the same rights that a, a, a woman carrying a baby is claiming, they're denying to the fetus. And so, again, you're in a conflict with a core belief. I mean, if, if you have a right to your own body, then so does the fetus. If you say the fetus doesn't, then you're forced to say the fetus isn't life. If you say the fetus is life, then you can't have it both ways. Right. And so that's what I mean by a downstream. We have to begin by a core value. Yeah. And if, if we don't have that, then it's mayhem. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, as a, a teacher, theology teacher, Bible teacher, I, I explained something similar. I, I never used the term downstream, but, but I, I've said, you know, this problem shouldn't exist. And the reason it shouldn't exist is because we should be living according to the way God created us to live. And the way he created us to live is in the context of a stable family with a husband and a wife who are dedicated to each other. And and you save the sexual relationship for marriage, not outside of marriage. And if you're committed to each other, this child is, is being conceived in a, in a situation where there could be a stable family that it's coming into. And there's really no reason for abortion then when you look at it. Now, medically, I understand there could be a reason for, if you want to, is it called abortion if the, if the baby has, is not living, the baby is dead, and somehow, is that still an abortion? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking as a non-medical person. It's like, well, to me, abortion seems you're taking a baby, a live baby, and and killing it and taking it out of the womb. So to me, that's murder because of what you just talked about. It's yeah. it's life. It's that kind of thing. But if the baby's already dead in the womb, is that still abortion? What is that? They call the medical term could be a missed abortion. Uh, incomplete abortion, you know, something, you know, something along those lines. The 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 distinction is made when you you say um, elective termina elective termination or elective abortion. Okay. And that that basically means that the fetus more or less is normal, and then you're electing to to terminate it. 
There are some fetuses that have horrible malformations that are incompatible with life, and basically the um, placenta is like a ventilator. It's just, it's keeping you know ventilator is somebody who's lost brain activity. Right. So the 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 placenta is just working to keep a in a sense a non-viable fetus viable, and when it, the fetus would otherwise be born. And so that is that is an ethical challenge, right? Because there are some who basically would say that if this this the fetus is horribly malformed, by terminating the pregnancy, you're turning off a vent. Yeah. So, and that's where that's where it, it gets troubling. With um, but there has so to be a time where you come out of that. There has to be a time where you're born. Right. At some point, yeah. So that baby will die. Yeah, yeah. And some so some women elect to terminate early. Right. But there are extremely rare cases with abortion where um, you would you then have to make a choice of which life you would save. Yeah. So there are some horrible problems that women have where the the pregnancy itself can can kill them right. or or increase a threat to their life and so you lose if continuing with the pregnancy you lose both lives and so you're forced to make a decision are you going to save the mother's life at the expense of the fetus right and sometimes that's done but it's very rare you get a normal fetus that exceeds 28 weeks ish 25 weeks where you have to kill the fetus to save the mother's life that that's pretty rare. So in other words, uh, there's something going on with the mom, medical, some things, so for instance, like severe preeclampsia, it's high blood pressure disorder pregnancy, where um, the, 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 you have to deliver the, the baby because that's the only cure for that. And the baby, you don't have to kill the, the baby in, in order to save the mother. And I hear that, uh, and it's wrong. You don't have to do that. If, there's a, if it's a baby that can exist outside the womb and the mother has a serious medical condition, you don't have to kill the fetus to save the mother. And um, when I hear that, I, I, I find it disturbing. It's misleading. It's actually a lie. Yep. Um, and, it's, and, and what is, happens is in order to avoid, again, addressing the core belief, people will find these isolated extremely tough decisions in order to justify the convenient decision of and that that's not how ethics are applied right well you know i find it interesting I, it, me not having a medical background at all um, when i see news reports and you know it's so easy to get a mob going one way or the other on, on whatever they're talking about um, but the the idea sometimes you'll hear a lady talk about well I couldn't get the abortion I needed, and my life was being threatened. And I'm thinking, what would Dr. Tim say? You know, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. And the the thousands of people who are not medical people who have no idea what's really being said, whether it has any validity or not, uh, is kind of troubling to me because there's no way that we can have the background that we need to understand what they just said. Well, they, I mean, they again in the situation i just alluded to they speak in half truths okay i'm i'm a 29 week pregnancy i my life is threatened 
nobody will deliver me. Well, that's, I've never heard of that. Yeah. I, I've never heard of that. And, and we do that. So we, we rescue the mom, we rescue the baby. And then we do our best, but neonatologists who do remarkable work do their best to keep that baby alive. So um, it, it, in essence, we, what we've done also, it, it, I like, it, it, we've used a lot of euphemisms now as this is evolving. In Rockford, uh, we just had a, an abortion clinic open and there are a number of uh, people in the community who would say, now we finally have comprehensive women's health care in Rockford. Well, we've always had comprehensive women's health care in Rockford. But we use that term to include abortion. And rather than say abortion, and a woman has a right to comprehensive health care. Well, I, what are you saying? So we're, we, we garble up the language. In essence, the real term, the real term for a viable baby to be um, terminated in the womb is really feticide. Okay. So that's the medical term. It's feticide, which is, when it's spoken that way, it's a horrible term. It is. And so that's why it's not used. There is the generic medical term abortion that's sort of used universally. And like I said earlier, we have elective uh terminations and we have uh, terminations for a miscarriage or things like that or even an ectopic pregnancy a woman has an ectopic pregnancy and I've I've read in the paper about you know the OBGYNs worried about states where uh, they're applying uh, taking they're, they're using the Dobbs rule to put in place abortion restrictions and you hear these uh, sort of false, in a sense, false stories where doctors are worried about uh, 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 d doing surgery on an ectopic pregnancy in a pregnancy which is not in the womb, which is somewhere else, usually in the tube, the fallopian tube, which if rupture, the uh, mother can hemorrhage and bleed to death. Sure. So, so I, I hear these stories and read them where physicians are concerned about that. And, and they raise that as if that is, is a reality, and it's not a reality. They just raise that issue to confuse it. And what, what I see is a lot of con people distorting things and creating confusion. So the real term is feticide. We use the term abortion. But um, we pick at these extremely rare instances to challenge a core fundamental belief and, and thinking foundationally. And in reality, those instances where that difficult choices made um, are exceedingly rare. So are, are, are medical students that are coming into the field now, are they being taught what you're talking about here? Or is it, how do they teach in medical school? Are, are they teaching that you don't call babies fetuses? Or are they teaching life starts at a certain point? I mean, what do they teach in medical school? Well, the American College of OBGYN is taking a, a, taking a pretty uh, solid, uh, definitive stand on being um, pro-abortion, pro-elective termination. Um, and the interesting thing is, is if you believe that abortion is a, in a sense, a right, an elective abortion is a right, then you cannot restrict it in somebody who has a baby of 39 weeks. So you hear about the six-week rule, the heartbeat rule, the 15-week rule. Those are arbitrary. That is not foundational thinking. That is not how ethics work. 
So either it is a it is a fetus, it is a life, or it is not. It's it doesn't change at six weeks, fifteen weeks, or thirty nine weeks. And so when you hear people say, "Well, I wouldn't," you know, I, I don't agree with I I'm for abortion, but I don't agree that it should be at thirty nine weeks. Well, yeah, you do. Because you can't arbitrarily pick a time when abortion is wrong. Right. So that's man-made. That's not an ethic. It's not a virtue. And so... Is they, that somebody trying to compromise so that they sound like, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm compromised. I, comp- I sort of believe in abortions, but I don't really believe in abortions. So. Well, that's, to me, it's political. That's how you get reelected. Yeah. So you, you appear tough on abortion, but you're really playing games and you're pandering... To, to people and basically saying, well, I, I, I believe in these exceptions, yeah, but, but not, not in those. And so then you have people picking and choosing winners and losers, and that's not how ethics works. And so we've strayed, even in medicine, we're straying from foundational thinking, thinking ethically first and, and um, making medical decisions second. And um, and but this is what you get then is you get confusion, and if you want to know confusion, look at the abortion laws across fifty states; yeah. they're all confused. And um, but that's what happens when you you stray from that. Well, you know, in the, theology wise, and uh, I I teach students and and basically talk about the danger of confusion all the time. You know, the, my basic premise is this: if if you're confused, you're going to act confused. And if you act confused, you go to this weird state of numbness in your brain because you don't know what to do anymore. And that's what I'm finding, and I'll go into another topic here with you a little bit, is that's what I'm finding when young people come up and they're they're confused about gender. Young young people who are little boys, little girls, you know, growing up, and and then they start hearing about all this gender stuff. And, you know, the boys aren't really boys and the girls aren't really girls, or or this one is, or, or this one's a a cat or you know and before you know it you look at this and you start going wait a minute this is very confusing to an eight-year-old you know what's going on in life and they're growing up not understanding anymore the basics between boys and girls and and just simple stuff they get confused um when i'm looking at this as a teacher i'm just telling kids you know what here's how god made it god god made males god made females they're different now, am I medically correct on that, or am I just theologically correct on that? Well, it <laughs> depends what doctor you ask now. Um, I, as a physician, I believe in there's only two genders. There's male and female. As a physiologist, I believe there's only two genders, male and female. Well, that's pretty good background for two opinions, but a, how can you not then? How, how can somebody not think that? I, I, I don't know. You're, you're asking, I think you're asking us to delve into to something that is, uh, I, I don't know where well, all this comes from. Well, gender isn't mental. Gender isn't what you think. Right. It's physical. Right. So, well, so it has to have some physical characteristics to it. Well, not, not that long ago, um, and, and this is a, you know, it's a, it's a horrible thing to have in, in reality. If somebody has gender dysphoria or this incredible uncertainty about what's sure. happening with them. It's a horrible thing, but not that long ago, it was uh, psych- labeled a psychiatric disorder. Uh, it was termed that with uh, solutions via cognitive therapy, and these people could be helped. 
And now I, you know, I, it's interesting. I'll bet if you Google search uh, psychiatric cognitive therapy for transgenderism, given the way the search engines work, I bet it doesn't even pull up. Hmm. But it, it, it has been treated psychiatrically with success. Uh, and um, instead, we, uh, we, can, we, we, we continue the torment, in my opinion, uh, on, on some of these people who are struggling uh, desperately with, with what is going on with, within them. And, uh, um, uh, and, and the horrific part of all this is then you have, you know, you have preteens who are, aren't capable of abstract thought yet, who are making decisions about their gender and then undergoing, I guess, what's termed gender affirming surgery to permanently change them. The unfortunate thing is the suicide rate is quite high in, in some of these people. Their depression and their anxiety does not go away. It's surgical solution is, is, is does not appear to be a, a true remedy for that. And I think if the surgical solution for transgender dysphoria was a pill, it wouldn't get FDA approval because of its failure rate. In, in my opinion, and, and uh, I just don't know where this is going. We don't let kids drive at 16 for a reason. Right. We, d we don't let them vote after 18 for a reason. You know, it, kids don't fly airplanes. They right. don't drive commuter buses for a reason, and that is their cognitive ability. And these tender minds, instead of being taught in, in schools, you know, math, history, science, Instead, we have turned sideways, and now kids can't read, kids can't do math, and they don't even know who they are. Right. So government education is a failure. It, it's an absolute failure in the United States. And you look in most other countries, they don't have this kind of stuff. So kids can't read, can't do math, and then they walk out of the elementary school, they don't know if they're a boy or a girl or if they're a furry baby. Right. And it's horrible. And if people can't see the despair that this is bringing and the tragedy to these young kids, uh, I, I, I can't help them. I, I, I just don't, I don't see the goodness in it. Yeah. And certainly from a scriptural and biblical uh, worldview and a Christian worldview, it is absolutely wrong. Yeah. It is morally wrong to do this. Yeah. You know, as I teach it and stuff, and, and again, you're talking from a medical, and then we flip, and your brain's going to the theological, and to the, and and you have to because God is the one who created everything. I I keep teaching the simple side of things. You know, God created male, He created female, and He created them differently. And in my idea, as I look at life, what what happens is we keep looking at something that we don't have, saying if we had this, we'd be okay, rather than enjoying the way God made us. And God made us all so different. I mean, he made you. You're, you're into the medical world, and, and the next program we'll talk about a little bit into politics and that kind of thing. I'm not. I, 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 I tried to be into the medical world. I went when I was in high school and went to a hospital and was going through with them, and I kept fainting. And, and at the end of it, the doctor came up to me that was showing all the high school kids around going, you know, you might want to think about a different career. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those right from the beginning. It's like, I don't think you're just cut out for this. And it wasn't uh, telling me I was dumb or anything else. It was, this just isn't your thing. 
you know. And I'm glad because I was seriously thinking maybe I'll go into some medical field sometime and do it. And I really didn't like it, you know, and it really, that kind of thing. But, but as, I, as I look at the world, I see it's simple. And I see that I can look at how God made me and go, this is who I am. This is the body part you made me to be. I need to learn to function in this capacity the very best I can. And, and I'm a male. I'm 67 years old. You know, I mean, this is who God made me to be at this point in life. And I get to look forward to seeing what he's going to do with me until he takes me home. And that's the fun part. And so I can relax and enjoy life because of the fact that I actually have purpose already. I, there, there's two things, I think, and, and I'll bet you see this in the medical field as well because I think they're universal. But there's two things that I think every human being desires and they strive towards, and that's significance and security. Those are the two things they want. And they're looking. If they can't find significance in their family right now and who they are, and they'll go, well, I must look for it over here, or I need to look for it over there, or I need to be significant. I need to be significant to somebody. And I found that the only way to be healthy is to understand your significance to God, the fact that he doesn't need you, but he wants you. The fact that he loves you so much that he sent his son down to die for you while, while you are in a sinful state. and He wants you in his family. There's tremendous significance in walking with God and understanding his love and living the way he created you to live. And, and so we can enjoy that. There's tremendous significance in thinking about his plan. You know, you and I, man, we go back, you know, 50 years or more. And, and, and God's put us in, in the same world but different worlds. And yet we're still great friends. We see each other. We share in common values. We, we get excited about what God's doing. I can cheer you on as a doctor and a politician and be thrilled for your successes. And, you know, that doesn't diminish anything in my life. It makes me a richer person to participate in your life and to help you be all that you can be. It makes you richer. You're, you're on our board of directors here at Silver Birch Ranch, and you're working to make my life successful. So, so you look at that and you go, no, that's what we're about. We, we have different skills and different abilities. We need to rejoice in that and be thankful for it, not look at somebody else and say, boy, I wish I was like them, and, and I'm not going to be happy till I am like them, so why don't you do surgery on me? You know, may, maybe you can make me look more like them or feel more like them. Um, and, and, and I think in the process as we go through life, we begin to see the, the basic process, again, is a downstream problem in, in when you see it. It's... I don't want to believe that God created me with a plan. And Satan's working at trying to dismantle that idea so that all that's left is confusion. we got a bunch of people confused, and we're not meant to be confused. You know, it's kind of interesting. One of the young students that was here last year came in and was telling me about being anxious. And their life was full of anxiousness, and that's another thing that's going on right now in our culture. And he loves God, and I talked to him, and I, I had him go through the Bible and look at the passages of anxiousness and he was on medicine and all this kind of stuff. Do you know that he's off all that now? Hmm. Just by reading the Bible, just by listening to God, and, and by understanding his significance and his security, it's not from this world. It's from the right relationship with God and walking with him. And, and he's a young man I would invest in and, and trust and it, at this particular point, and his life is going in the right direction. And a year ago, he was just full of anxiousness and, and trying to figure out. But he's coming from that world of confusion out there and it's like no let's get these things in order god does love you he did create you he did make you to be a certain way 
let's enjoy the way he made you. Let's look at your personality and, and enjoy that. Well, we're going to talk for another uh, segment here. I'm talking with Dr. Tim Durkee. I'm Dave Wager. We're in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch and the program we call Younger Older. I hope you'll listen to the next one. Goodbye for now.